0: Namavato arahato sama sambhu dasa Namotasa bhagavato arahato sama sambhu dasa Namotasa bhagavato arahato sama sambhu dasa Dhammang Sangam When I spoke to Ajahn last week, and uh, he asked if I would help with this retreat, uh, I was very pleased to do so, and um, I asked him uh, just what it is that he would want me to do. (laughs) And so he said, uh, well, you can give some instructions, and Help, uh, Venerable Punadamo and I with the interviews, and give a talk. And I felt my stomach just turn completely upside down. <laughs> 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 uh, so. I looked to see what was going on, you know, why, did I, why was it making me so nervous. And um, I realized that um, if I was going to uh, work with the monks, uh, I was going to want to uh, offer a, a day like the monks do, which is to um, just uh, open your heart and uh, offer from there and uh, it's something that I have always wanted to do but haven't really quite done (laughs) because it takes a certain uh, amount of concentration which I've never been able to quite gather so I asked Ajahn um, if he could possibly give me some pointers (laughs) on how to do it like they do it Um, And he, in his great wisdom and compassion, said, uh, well, just open your mouth and die. (laughs) 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 So I'm dying, (laughs) Ajana. (laughs) so I was trying to think about what might might be a nice topic and um, something that would be helpful to you in your practice as you're here in the midst of this retreat right smack dab in the middle of it and and I thought, well, the best thing to do is really talk about my own practice, because that's what I know the most about. (laughs) And uh, one thing that has been particularly interesting to me to watch in my own practice has been the softening around difficult states of mind. So, that's what I'd like to talk about tonight, how I've seen this uh, process Uh, grow and change in me. I first came here to IMS about ten years ago um, uh, to do the three-month course. Uh, It was in 1987. and uh, Wisely, really, in hindsight, I didn't realize it at the time, uh, I chose to do half the retreat as a work retreat and the first half as a work retreat and the second half just sit. And uh, I was just really doing it because I didn't have much money and I wanted to stretch it out. But um, what I didn't know about myself at that time was that I was really quite compulsive. And uh, I had, it was really still quite new to practice. I had just really sat my first retreat less than a year before that. and. Um, immediately packed my bags and moved to a meditation center in North Carolina, where I had been uh, for the seven months prior to the retreat. And uh, even though I was at a retreat center, there there weren't any teachers there, and I didn't have much guidance in my practice, and I really didn't have much skill in looking at my own mind. So when I came here to IMS with this unique environment, and um, all the supports that you have, Um, it became painfully obvious to me in a very (laughs) short period of time um, that my mind was incredibly unruly and uh, obsessed and compulsive. In doing this uh, work retreat, I I was working with what was then the combined housekeeping and uh, maintenance department. So I had duties like painting and scrubbing and washing windows and um you know, clipping hedges, things of this nature, and um, as I would walk around the retreat center, I noticed that all that I could do and all that I could see was things that needed to be done, and you know, I was deluded enough to think that I was... The only one who knew how to do them <laughs> sort of had this uh, this way of being where um, you know everything uh, everything was a mess and I needed to clean it up I needed to do something about it you know. so I mean you you can't believe the volume of work that I did in this six week period we were only uh, supposed to work like five or six hours a day uh, which I did most of the time I really tried to do it. But um, sometimes the days just got away from me and I would, I would work like 12, 13, 14 hours, <laughs> you know, because, I mean, in part I was just running out this battery, you know, just really um, following the compulsive drive in my mind. But also I was very aware that um, it, it, sitting while I liked it was Hard for me, and, and uh, when I sat, none of this stuff stopped, you know. So, <laughs> so sitting was like um, very painful, and you know I can't really tell if I was working to get away from the sitting, or or what. But you know, it was it was definitely in that kind of a groove. I used to call IMS I'm a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Because it was, everything, you know, the place was falling apart. Everything needed work. And uh, it just uh, called on this part of me. It was very good, though, because I I was beginning to see this uh, quality in me. But that wasn't all that was going on. Um, You know, I was becoming painfully aware of how out of touch I was with my actual direct experience. You know, like I would, one time I was doing walking meditation here in the upper walking room, and um, I was walking one way and I'd be thinking about the beach, and walking another way I'd be thinking about the country. Walking back I'd think about the beach, walking this way I'd think about the country, and what's going on here? (laughs) What, what's uh, what's happening? And then I, I sort of looked um, a little bit closer at my experience, and I could see that on this one windowsill out here, there was a big crystal. And over here on this windowsill, there was a big conch shell. And so Every time as I was walking my path, my eyes unconsciously would make contact with this conch shell, and I'd start thinking about the beach. And then I'd turn around and I'd see this rock on the other end and I'd start thinking about my friends Annie and Phil in the mountains who lived near crystal caves and didn't I want to go live in the country and wouldn't that be nice? I'd turn around and go, nah, the beach, that's where I want to (laughs) go. And turn around again. It just went on back and forth and back and forth. And I noticed that, you know, when I walked into the dining hall, every time I walked into the dining hall, I had this uh, sense of, like, straightening up. You know, this this uh, overwhelming sense that everybody in the dining hall was looking at me and that I wanted to put up a good front and really look like I was being mindful. <laughs> do, do the practice, walk real slowly, go to the tea area and very carefully uh, get a cup of tea. And, uh, you know, very aware of this sort of need inside of me to, to be approved of and to be well thought of and you know, to uh, uh, put up a good front, yeah, you know, really show, show who uh, that I was the best little meditator on the block. You know, <laughs> and sometimes uh, sitting here in the hall, I, I would be very aware of um, how I'd be rehearsing the next thing that I was going to do when I got up. You know, I'd sit here and... I'd actually go through these whole things in my mind where... how I was going to stand up from my cushion and how I was going to fold my blanket really neatly and put it back on my cushion and turn very carefully and walk out and I was going to notice the patterns in the carpet and notice the patterns in the tile and feel the heat from the sun, and feel the breeze as it came in, and all this. But this was all while I was sitting on a cushion. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be this great, mindful yogi, and I'm going to know exactly everything that happens when I get up. (laughs) And that would be my sitting. And then, of course, my walking (laughs) was this sense of. I'm doing just exactly what I thought I was going to do. Look at me, aren't I good? <laughs> yeah. But sometimes I would get up and I I would be out in the coat room and I didn't know how I got there, you know. And I would get really angry because um, I, I obviously needed to rehearse and I hadn't rehearsed. <laughs> and I really should have done that, you know. It was, it was amazing. I, I was amazed to see what was going on inside my mind. I had no idea. I mean, did you have any idea what was going on inside your mind until you meditated? And the funny thing was that really I had come to IMS with a very express plan. I was going to take the three-month course and I was going to get enlightened. <laughs> and then I was uh, just going to return to my life and some Idealized state, but of course, now that it was December, and uh, that hadn't quite happened yet, I was in this situation where I was going to have to you know redo my plan. So I um, applied for uh, a long-term uh, yogi status, which is a this is a, a way to be here where you're doing long-term practice and um, you can Uh, Really, you have the option of either participating in a retreat or not. The idea is that this is a a, a period for long-term practice and that really recognizing that people who are sitting in a continuous way might be in a different, slightly different state than others, you know, the the parameters are such that you can uh, do what you think you need to do and set your own schedule. So, um that's I came back in February and started that kind of, of sitting, and I got that this room down in the basement, which is um, called the cave. You may know it's off the the bowling alley, and I thought that this would really be an ideal location because it's this real long, narrow room, and um, you're really away from all the other yogis, you know, and uh, there's ways that uh, living in that room you can get around the building and, and not bump into anybody, not see anything, you know, and the, the, the stimulation would be a lot more diminished. And it clearly there were there it was possible to do long terms in your room and just completely close off and diminish all the stimulation and really focus on the practice. Uh, and even really during the time that I was doing that, there were periods when um, the staff brought me meals to my room, so I could really do this solitary confinement thing. You know. Um, so uh, in the early part of this, as I was setting up my structure, you know, I was really getting this sort of no nonsense attitude about practice going, and um, I set up a, a routine where I was getting up at five and. Practicing till 10 at night, and uh, you know, doing keeping it very simple. Uh, one of the things that y- you do as an LTY, is since y- you can either come into the talks or not, and I found that that wasn't real great for me to do. Um, and I went to the library and got uh, a whole collection of Upandita tapes. Which, um, if you know uh, Upandita, he has a, a, a quite a reputation for being a real fierce instructor, and uh, kind of a no-nonsense teacher. And uh, I didn't know that at the time, I didn't know who he was, I had, I had no idea. But um, there was uh, this collection of tapes from his uh, one-month retreat the year before. So there were some 60 tapes in there, a two-month retreat, And so I set it up so that I would listen to w- one tape or two tapes a day and uh his his talks were full of all these warrior kind of images you know um, he talked a lot about uh putting the centurion at the uh, scent stores, you know and being there on guard for every moment of contact, anything that might try to enter. Into your uh, experience through the sense doors, you could be there and just push it away with your shield, or shoot it, or stick a sword in it, or chop its head off, or something—you know—anything <laughs> to to prevent yourself from uh, having this kind of um, experience. And then he t- he used you know weapon weaponry images and you know swords and shields and. Uh, things like this, and and talked a lot about the armies of Mara. You know. <laughs> really got me all fired up to take on the Kalesas, You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna really enter into to battle with these things. So I did. You know, I mean, I was really just very, very driving, hard, uh, obsessed, really with this idea of nothing was going to come in and really I was going to get so deeply concentrated and go into the jhanas and really uh, uh, find out what this enlightenment thing is all about, experience it for myself. <sighs> so uh, that kind of attitude extended off the cushion as well. and. Uh, you know i I would just really uh push myself as I walked through the building, like uh, when I walked into the the dining hall, for instance i I had this uh, previously I had this this thing where when every time I approached the rack with the cups and bowls in it, you know, uh, I could feel myself just as I was sort of getting close to it <laughs> with this these thoughts about well which one am I going to get today you know i kind of like that little. Blue one with the rim around it, you know, and, and kind of hoping for that cup with the mountain scene on it, you know, so that I could have a very pleasant meal. <laughs> and uh, this um, this wouldn't do, of course, with this new way of practicing. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't have any of this, you know, so. I, as I approached it, you know, I would just really try to stop these thoughts from coming up. No, no, you can't, you can't have it. And 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 if I'd reach for something that I really liked, you know, it'd be like no, you know, just keep it simple, keep it plain. And and actually got into actually punishing myself for wanting something nice, for wanting something that was attractive and and beautiful and and made me feel good, you know. And and so I'd start to look for the the, the ugliest rolls and the and the, the cups with no handles, and the <laughs> the cups with <laughs> chips <laughs> chips in them, and uh, you know there's a, there's a couple of bowls and cups in there and plates that are like. Olive green with this blue, you know, (laughs) they're still there, (laughs) and I I hated them. They were so ugly. So that that suited this kind of practice, you know. This is what I needed to to eat off of, and then I'd I'd reach in for a fork, and you know, none of this reaching around, fiddling around for the one with the that was the right weight, you know, (laughs) or the right shape. You know, I'd look for the ones with the the tongs all broken and bent. <laughs> it's like, this is, this was my idea of good practice, you know? And then when i get up to the food lines, um, you, know, you know this thing, you, you may have seen yourself do this, where you, it was so annoying. Every time I'd reach in for a spoonful of something and put it in my bowl, there was this, thing that I always went back for a little more, just a little bit more, you know, and it was, often I'd just take another, another tablespoonful, you know, and inevitably at the end of the meal, that was the exact amount of food that I didn't want, or that was too much, do you know what I mean? But I couldn't, I couldn't keep myself from doing it. It was like that, just that little bit more to some some kind of security, some kind of comfort. And it was like, it was as if, you know, my body had its own intelligence. You know, the first scoop had the right amount. But then the mind would get into the act, you know, and and, uh, start to overlay that experience with these anxieties about having enough. And so, you know, I, I really wanted to work with this. And I, I took that same kind of attitude of, no, you know, really get, look at what you want. Take what feels right and be satisfied with it, you know. I can feel it. remember that sometimes I would, I would be sitting in the back dining hall eating my meals and I would just be crying. <laughs> it wasn't fun anymore. <laughs> it was very, very painful. and. And yet, I have to admit that I was getting some results, you know, in the sense of getting a little bit uh, control over some of these impulses. I can remember <laughs> one time I, uh, I would know I, I took a particular interest in my state of mind first thing in the morning. And um, if I didn't get up jump right up out of bed, you know it was not gonna it was not a good day, it was not a good day and uh so when I lay there in bed in the morning for and it, i mean I was still keeping my schedule, but I would get very irritated with myself if I lay there for that five minutes more, you know that ten minutes more and uh one morning, I just got so annoyed with myself. I said, "No, this will not do. you've got to you've got to get up and go and move none of this lolling about." And so, um when I stood up i I ripped the blankets off the bed and ripped the sheets off the bed, and I took the foamy off the bed, <laughs> and I put the foamy up against the wall, and I saw before me this metal frame with a uh, piece of plywood on it. You know, and I said, "Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> See if you stay in bed in the morning." Now, you know, and I put an army blanket on it, and uh, that, and put the pillow up in the cupboard, and uh, that was, uh, you know, that was my my response to lolling about in bed in the morning, and then I started drinking like a a, a quart of water. Before I went to bed at night, <laughs> so that uh, when I woke up in the morning, my bladder would be so full and so painful that I'd have to get up. Yeah, it's really stark austerities, you know. It's really pushing myself, pushing myself. All with this sense of, of uh, it was I was going to get something. It was all taking me somewhere. And I tell you the truth, I don't know where I was getting the energy. You know, there, I had a certain determination and stamina that um, I just knew no bounds. You know, this went on for months and months and months. And certainly driven by faith because I had no idea where this was all going to take me. But um, it seemed to make sense and so I kept doing it. And in hindsight, I think that um, some of it was probably all right. (laughs) It wasn't all that, all unskillful. Uh, You know, I might even consider doing some of it again. But um, the thing that I couldn't see in it all was that in this war against um, the Kilesas and these uh, my states of mind, that the thing that was driving it all were the very states that I was trying to overcome. You know, I could see how much I wanted something that I didn't have. You know how every time I saw something I I didn't like about myself, some state of mind or uh, some uh, way of being that I didn't like, it was like get rid of it, fight it, push it away, do something to force it out of my experience. And certainly I I couldn't see through all this. It was very deluded. couldn't see what was actually happening. And so much of it was driven by these um, really immature emotional states, you know, of wanting to be thought well of, wanting to look good. <laughs> look at me, aren't I, a good little yogi? There was a tremendous wow. amount of expectation in the practice. You know, I'd sit for hours and I had this, even when I got into some really refined, um, uh, concentrated states, there was always this little bit of, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, is it, is it, is something gonna happen? Something's gonna happen. It's gonna happen any minute now. I can see it. I can feel it, you know? It is a sense of uh, all of this was being done uh, to get something, to experience something. Something was going to happen, and that's why I was doing it. It was amazing. But of course, as the the months went by, nothing happened. And I became very discouraged and demoralized at one point. And there was this Thai monk who came here uh, with uh, Larry Rosenberg. Um, he stayed for about a week and he was um, made himself available for interviews. So I, I signed up for one. And uh, it was at this point where I was so demoralized. And I asked him, um, you know... Uh, how long this was going to take? <laughs> oh, I, uh, I couldn't see the results, you know. And um, he was very kind, very, very good monk, and he reminded me that um, the Buddha spent lifetimes purifying his mind, and then he spent uh, six years of. Austerities and still wasn't free <clears throat> and, he's, and he, he said, "Well, you know you're very determined, you have a lot of determination, and it will serve you well. Uh, it will mature, and it will serve you well. Just keep going, strive on, just keep hanging in there, <laughs> and it'll all start coming clear to you. But I still had that feeling of uh, sort of like that uh, that great American query, you know, where's the beef? (laughs) Something I wanted to happen. Ajahn Suchito, who's uh, another one of my favorite teachers from the forest uh, sangha, said once that um, practice is about 10% doing and about 90% being done on. <laughs> that, that's how it felt to me. You know, it, this sense of enduring, bearing, the, the constant flood of states of mind that was so unpleasant to me. And the experience of being caught in them and seemingly so completely out of my control was also very difficult to bear. But, you know, what, what I, I couldn't see in all those months of practice, really, and really only began to see in hindsight, was how the practice was doing its magic on me. It's not apparent. You know, the teachers always tell, you, tell us that uh, more is happening than you're aware of. It doesn't feel like anything is happening, but trust it and stay with it. Keep working. And I could see that um, even though it didn't feel like I was very detached or that um, my... Uh, I was getting any distance from these states of mind. Even just a little bit of detachment was helping me to see them from a slightly different vantage point. And the states were really beginning to wear down. Until one time, I was sitting down in the cave one afternoon and, uh, I don't know, I can't, it's hard to describe exactly what happened, but it's, a. you know, I was sitting there going through a greed, hatred, delusion, just seeing all the, the whole parade of states of mind moving through me. And um, suddenly I, I just, the mind turned a little bit, like it took a quarter turn and and somehow I was just outside of it enough to look at what my experience had been for all those months. And I thought, I'll be darned. I've been sitting here for seven, eight months now and the whole time that I've been sitting here I've been wanting things that I don't have, trying to get rid of things that I do have, or completely out to lunch. <laughs> and that had been my experience. And I was just crushed, you know, by that. And I remember I went to Joseph, who was um, um, the teacher here at the time uh, for the LTYs. And, I, t- and uh, I told him, I said, I'm, I'm going to leave. I've got to quit. And uh, this isn't going anywhere. And he said, um, wait a minute, wait a minute, (laughs) tell me what happened. (laughs) And so I told him what what happened. You know, I was just sitting in greed, hatred, and delusion the whole time. And he said, uh, yes, you know, finally. (laughs) This is not the time to go. (laughs) You're seeing clearly. You're seeing clearly. Stay with it. This is a t- this is a moment for celebration. <laughs> Stay with it. So there's a there's a way that I I heard what he was saying. And there's a way that I sort of knew that it was true. But there's also a way that it it really didn't penetrate. I mean it's like the the implications of what of this little turn in my mind where I could actually see my experience with that kind of detachment. Uh it just it it didn't settle in, you know. It it's like it did, I didn't question the reality of the insight, but I didn't really feel it deeply. You know, it was like, it was so foreign. It was such a new way of looking at things for me that um, it it took a while to penetrate. It took a while to settle in. And uh, really, probably a couple of years, you know, before I started to live my life as if I understood, or or had some sense of that as being the truth. And it was during that period that um, I went to the the monastery for a trip. Uh, I I was in the habit of going to the monastery about uh, three months a year. And uh, usually for the winter retreat, when the monastic community goes on retreat. It's a very good time for lay people to go. Because while they only have um, a few of us there, it's the time when they're on retreat and there's, um, you, you, you have some duties but you don't uh, have a whole lot to do because the work is all cut back and, um, and then you can join the retreat for the whole rest of it. And these were um, uh, the best teachers I had ever known. So uh, I went to Chithurst this particular time where Ajahn Suchita was the abbot and he was leading the retreat. So he was was in sort of his experimental phase at this time. (laughs) He was trying different forms of retreat. And um, I was not in a very good state of mind when I got there. My practice had sort of diminished and uh, getting a little sloppy. And uh, I I really hadn't... um, like I said, I was sort of settling into uh, new ways of looking at things and um, there's a lot of resistance to really seeing and and living the truth. So he was doing this um, thing where we were alternating weeks where one week we would sit We'd get up about um, five and have morning puja at six, and then we would um, sit until midnight. And, uh <laughs> 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 and then, of course, I, I was staying down in the nun's cottage, which is about a 15-minute, 20-minute walk down the lane. And this was winter in England. And, um, you know, our days were that... Or the nun's days were, were that much shorter, you know, because uh, we were... Um, we had this added uh, part to our day, and uh, and then on the on the alternate weeks, he had us um, starting getting up at uh, starting at four, which for us meant getting up at three, and uh, and then going till about um, ten or eleven, <laughs> and then of course you had that one little day in between where the, the pattern switched. Which meant that you were staying up till midnight, but then you had to get up again at three. You know, <laughs> and uh, well, this was the proverbial straw for me. <laughs> this is what really did me in. <laughs> did one of the sisters in too? <laughs> um, but I had a, I had a really hard time with this. And um, I was determined. I still had some of that dogged determination in me. I was determined to do it. But really, we weren't quite expected to do it as lay people because we did have duties. And you know, uh, it was you were supposed to give it the old college try. You know, (laughs) not just not do it, but try. Uh, But you know, that was that wasn't good enough for me. I had to do it. And uh, so I would push on and push on and and, uh, uh, make the effort. But all the time, I was just oh, grumbling and groaning and whining, and <laughs> I can't do it. This is horrible. This is masochistic. This is sadistic. <laughs> I was tired and cold and hungry, and the uh, the walk. Uh, it was a, it was a rather harsh winter, and uh, you know, if you know England at all, um, winter in England is. Um, It is these chills, you know, the cold just penetrates right to the bone, and you're always wet, and so you never, you can never get warm. And oh, I just, it was so painful and so demoralizing. Uh, And I was so sick of myself. I was so sick of hearing myself whine (laughs) and grumble and groan And finally, I just I just collapsed. You know, I just became this ball of jelly, (laughs) you know, wasted blob of protoplasm. You know, the sisters were all very, very kind. You know, they, which they always were. I mean, they just so many wonderful acts of kindness. uh, Just their the basic goodness aside. there was always, you know, flowers and special little drinks, and please, let me help you. Let me care for you. Do you need a massage? Can I take care of you? And uh, you know, when they saw me in this state, <laughs> just <laughs> crying every place I went, <laughs> dragging my feet, uh, they really came came forward and and supported me. And, Of course, I had always received their gifts with a certain kind of "Oh, isn't that nice? that's very very uh very nice, very helpful, very supportive. But this time, I guess because I was so crushed, you know i was I was just really empty, and oh their their help meant so much it was so soft and so supportive to me. And one afternoon, Sister Tanya came in to the room where I was staying. And uh, she said, uh, do you want to talk? You know, And I said, yeah, I did. <laughs> I want to cry. I can't do it anymore. I, I can't. I, I'm sick of myself. I can't stand it. I said, uh... Sister, I'm so defiled. I'm so full of hatred and longing and laziness and anxieties and doubt and confusion. I just, I can't bear it anymore. And, uh... She looked at me and she said, "Yeah." Me too. (laughs) Me too. And you know, we looked at each other and just suddenly it all became very funny. (laughs) Started to laugh and realized that uh, you know this was this was our condition. This was our this was the way it was with human beings, and. you know, sort of really letting in the full weight of our dilemma. You know, what a bite! (laughs) Sort of that sense of, you know, is this somebody's idea of a joke? To be born into this body and mind and to be sort of at the mercy of this constant barrage of physical and emotional mental contact and, and no way to get away from it and no control over any of it. There was that sense of just uh, surrendering to it, giving oneself over to it. And Ajahn Suchita came to the rescue with a a wonderful little exercise for me. He he told me to uh, try this out. He said to stand in front of the mirror and think of all of the things that you're really having a hard time with. Things that you don't like about yourself, states of mind, states of being, Whatever. And, and look at the look at the person in the mirror and talk to her about it. You know, say what it, uh, what it, what is uh, the condition that you're having so much trouble with, and ask you ask her can you can I find a way to be at peace with this? Can I find a way to accept this? And to keep asking until I got an affirmative reply. So I did. I started with things that were like easy, like um, things, that, things that were torments to me about my body. Yes, I looked in it. Look in the mirror. <laughs> You've got crooked teeth. <laughs> can you can that be okay? Can you find a way to make that okay? You're getting a little fat around the middle. <laughs> can that be okay? Can you find a way to make that okay? then I'd progress to the bigger things you know you always think of yourself first you hardly ever put other people first can you find a way to open your heart to that can that be okay that that impulse is in you that sense of, uh, you're so sensitive, you're you're sensitive about some things and really insensitive about others, you know, just really taking that in, that this is, this is my pattern, this is my habit, this is my karma. These are the things I've been seeing in myself all these months that have been the the objects of, of this battle. You know, fight them, get rid of them, get them out of my being. Can we try a different posture, a different approach instead? You know, can we we embrace it all? (laughs) Can we make it okay that it's there? Self-righteous, arrogant, (laughs) lazy. Oh, you can be piggy—all <laughs> that kind of stuff—and just really seeing what's there and allowing it, accepting it. I found this to be a tremendous practice for me, and there were, I could—I could feel. Feel it even biologically. There was something happening in my body as a result. You know there, there were times when my heart would feel so huge that it was—it wasn't just a, a, a an organ in my body anymore. It was—it it had expanded to uh, go outside the limits of my skin. And I, I began to notice that there was more there was more compassion in me for these kinds of states in other people. All the things that I kept seeing in myself that were the objects of this battle, and the the things that I hated so much, were, um, when I saw them in other people, I suddenly was developing a lot more compassion for, for them. Because I knew, well, I had seen it all in myself, but I also knew how much it suffer- I suffered in these kinds of states. And it was wonderful. You know, it was a whole new way of doing the practice for me. And it wasn't just this exercise, Ajahn Sachita's exercise. It was really much more full than that. It was the whole way that the Sangha lived. You know because this was the this was the way that they lived, goodness and kindness and love and compassion <laughs> these were the standards these were the bases for relating, and so that every time that I went there and spent these months with them and you know lived in this really rare environment i mean there 's not many places that I go to on the planet <laughs> where goodness is the standard. Kindness is the is the main uh, operating principle, and you and I, I would think about that phrase in the in the chanting, you know that the, the sangha are, are worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of respect, because they give occasion for incomparable goodness to arise in the world. And I, and I could see this happening in me, you know this softening. This quality of goodness arising just from being in the presence of people who were so kind and so helpful—not that things, not that it was always peaceful at the monastery, and not that everybody was always well behaved—but it was the standard, and it was the, uh, it was what you could always go to. So I really began to practice in, uh, in a new kind of way. And really, I think that, you know, looking back, the, the, the kinds of things that uh, I learned from the Upandita tapes and that driving force, in a way, that wasn't necessarily the opposite of this. You know, I think that, I mean, he was using the words of the Buddha. Buddha used these images. But I think there's a way that I probably didn't understand exactly, you know, the the quality of determination that he was talking about, (laughs) getting a little carried away with uh, my own interpretation of that. But that one could have that same kind of stance, you know, of really being uh, fiercely devoted to uncovering, revealing, and expressing goodness, kindness, and softness. I I read a book around this time called The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. (laughs) I don't know if you ever heard about this, but it's not really worth reading. (laughs) <laughs> but but there was one good point in it, um which was that um if you're having difficulty accepting things uh that you see in yourself, even things that you see in the world uh Go back and love them some more. Just go back and love it some more. So, my new practice was um, I was going to love the Kilesas to death. with the help of the uh sangha and the um example that they offer and the support it's uh, it hasn't been hard to do <laughs> Actually, made it all a heck of a whole lot easier. So I uh, I want to thank Ajahn very much for this uh, opportunity to share some things about uh, practice. Um, I hope that some of it is helpful or useful to you. And if, it, if, uh, if not, just please feel free to disregard it.